0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca.
1: So, Christmas weekend. Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) Merry Christmas to you guys. Excited for what's happening these next couple of days. And here on Christmas weekend, we're going to open our Bibles to the book of Acts. Hey, surprise! We're going to Acts again. If you're visiting with us, we've been in Acts since September. And uh, I will admit, looking ahead to the calendar in September, wondering how this weekend would work as we're staying on our plan. But I'm excited how it's worked out, uh, looking at the life of Stephen. And um, we're going to see this. We're going to see one of the greatest examples of Christ-likeness in the Bible. And so that's a good thing to do on Christ-Must weekend. And so we're going to look at this, the incredible testimony and example um, of Stephen. That's our sermon title. The incredible example, testimony, and um, of Stephen, who is all about, Stephen's whole life is living in the power and in the love um, of Jesus Christ. So the good Christmas weekend text. It's really an amazing passage um, as well. We'll go through it um, as we kind of, we can't go through every verse, but we'll get through a lot of it. Speaking of Christmas too, 1 John 3.8 explains the reason of Christmas. Did you know that? 1 John 3.8 explains the reason of Christmas, it says this, the reason the Son of God appeared, right? So the reason that Christmas happened, the reason the Son of God appeared, listen, was to destroy the works of the devil. Interesting. So the reason Christmas happened was to destroy the works of the devil. What are the greatest works of the devil? Well, starting in Genesis 3 with the sin of Adam and Eve, he tempts us to sin, and the problem with sin, the devastation of sin, is that sin results in death. So the greatest works of Satan is to see us sin and therefore to see us face death and to have eternal separation apart from God. Okay, But again, this is the wonder and the beauty of Christmas. This is why Christmas happened. Uh, Jesus Christ was sent as a baby to live and to die for our sins Uh, paying for our sins to be raised from the dead. When he's raised from the dead, he defeats death. And again, when you place your faith and trust in the grace of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then your sin has been paid for and death has been defeated. This is the wonder, this is the miracle of believing and knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. So what happens is too, when this is real in your life, okay? So there's a lot of people that intellectually would say, oh yeah, yeah, I understand that. But it's never actually taken place in their hearts. There's some people here right now, intellectually, you're not into this at all. I mean, I just truth be told, you're like, man, I'm nowhere near that, right? You're going to hear, though, again, the powerful testimony and the opportunity to put sin and pride aside to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he enters into your life, a miracle happens a miracle of life transformation, a miracle of unparalleled purpose and joy. That's what happens with every person who genuinely embraces by faith um, the Lord Jesus Christ. I think of my first 22 years. I think of my first Christmas knowing Christ. I think of my salvation. Man, how do you articulate the difference of death to life? Only Jesus Christ can do this we're going to see one of the most powerful examples ever in Scripture in the life of a man named Stephen. Stephen becomes one of the greatest inspirations of just how much Jesus Christ can change a life. And we have to think, his life in Christ must have been short. He must have been a young man. We don't know when he was saved exactly, but it couldn't have been that long. And to have this short span of life in Christ, but then to have this long-lasting generation, generation ripple effect impact through his life, which continue on in some ways throughout all of eternity. So we're going to examine our lives as we look at Stephen's life, um, a life that was overwhelmed with love for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm excited to do that in Stephen's life. Here's the challenge though. Last week we had 7 verses in Acts. This week we have 68. Help us, Lord. All right? So, now again, we're not going through every verse. That's impossible. We're going to have an overview basically of some principles of Stephen's life in chapters 6 and 7 of the book of Acts. Okay? So, just as we jump into our text, good things to know. Acts 7 contains the longest recorded speech in Acts. Stephen is about to be the first Christian martyr, and the length of this section indicates the importance of Stephen's life and what the Holy Spirit, again, wants us to pick up from his life as well. So we're very wise to take notice and very wise to learn. Holy Spirit, would you take this time and use it way beyond, I mean, I can't do anything. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray you will just move all these people here right now. If you're an overflow, I just... God, use it. Use it in a powerful way. So needy today, Lord, and just ask that you will do that. So we're going to have a powerful examination, investigation, and application of Stephen's life with our own. We're going to do that today. Our outline is in the form of five questions, okay? Five questions that we see in Stephen's life and then relate to our own. Let's get started. Question number one is this. When I look at Stephen's life, I need to ask myself this. Am I growing in Christ-like character? Am I growing in Christ-like character? No, evidently Stephen was a very special man. Uh, The Bible tells us this. There's there's an unusual amount of real estate um, detailing his character and his powerful godliness. Luke is going out of his way, the Holy Spirit, who wrote the Bible, is going out of his way to tell us, again, how godly Stephen was. So, We can list several of these right away in chapter 6. I will also put these on the screen for you just so you can see visually what we're talking about. So in uh, chapter 6, verse 5, we we are told that Stephen was a man full of faith. In the same verse, we are told he is also full of the Holy Spirit. That's a good combination. In verse 8 of chapter 6, we are told he is full of grace. I mean, there's a lot of things happening in this young man's life. Also in verse um, 8 of chapter 6, he was full of power. And he was doing great wonders. Uh, in chapter 6, verse 10, uh, we are told he had a wisdom that his opponents could not withstand, which led to a spirit-given utterance in preaching, which again, which was remarkably powerful. So, in just a few verses, how's that for a resume? How's that for a resume? It's remarkable, really, and it's incredible. We, we start to uh, gain some understanding of how and why He was so powerfully used. Now the phrase that sticks out to me in these verses is the phrase full of. And Stephen was filled with. Stephen was full of. Notice that. Stephen, listen carefully. Stephen was so full of Jesus... That when you're filled with Jesus, here's what naturally happens. Then you're filled with faith and the Holy Spirit and of grace and of power and of wisdom. Again, church, you have to see this. If you're here today for the first time, you have to hear this. Okay, When you are filled with Christ, the correlation that, that, that necessitates from this is you are filled then with Christ and the virtue that comes from the life of Christ. The more you behold in the glory uh, who the Lord Jesus Christ is, you start to take on. Again, you become in the image of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Stephen's doing right up until his death here at the end of chapter 7, which is so remarkable. He is so filled with Jesus that Jesus starts to again fill him and overflow from his life in faith, again, grace, power, wisdom, and of course, the Holy Spirit. So here's a question. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Here's a question for you right now. What are you full of? What are you filled with? In all honesty, what fills your life? Uh, there's so many people today, right now, right now, your life is entirely filled with entertainment or an obsession with that or, or it, it, it's entirely filled with the mundane or entirely filled with temporal pursuits or entirely filled with worldly idolatry. I mean, that's just a reality right now. So many of us here right now, our whole life is filled in the end with nothing. And so our life becomes nothing. And you, feel your, you try to fill your life. What happens is, is you never get full. Or it's emptiness inside, so you keep trying to do that. Our lives become what we fill it with. A.W. Tozer, he said this. This is, this is very important. Whatever a man wants badly and consistently enough will determine the man's character. Stop, pause, apply right there. Just look at that. Think about it. It's like the pause sometimes. I just want you to be able to soak it up, man. This is very, very important. Whatever we want badly and consistently enough will ultimately determine who we are, the direction we go, the life we live, the character within. And what our character is, it's, it's who we are. I mean, how many people is that for right now? The Holy Spirit just went whew, like a laser beam right there. And you say, You see, you see why life is going in the direction that it is because you want so badly this. And then that becomes who you are. What are we living for? What are we filling our lives with? You know, it's interesting when it says that Stephen was full of faith and the Holy Spirit and of wisdom and of grace, every single element of this is directly related and connected to Jesus Christ. When you feel alive Jesus Christ again, that's what flows out of you. Um, I read this week John 7 verse 38. Jesus says, "Whoever believes in me, and who's this for right now? Whoever believes in me from his heart will flow, not trickle, will flow rivers, not a little tiny stream, will flow rivers of living water. How's that for a promise? Whoever intakes the Lord Jesus Christ, the outtake will be rivers of living water. Our world has no purpose. Our world is so sad. Our world is so confused. Our world is so wandering around in deserts. And Jesus shows up and says, whoever believes in me, out of his heart, his character, his life, will flow rivers of living water. Question, am I growing in Christ-like character? This is the supernatural power that is connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. So one of our staff members, I was just thinking about this, thinking about godliness, character, fill with Jesus. Well, how do I pursue Jesus? There's different ways to do that. One of the most important ways we fill our lives with Jesus is, of course, His Word, which is where this whole message comes from. This church is built upon, and we don't have a church apart from God's Word, and so a staff member this week sent me this video, and I watched it. I'm like, that is immensely encouraging, and I'm like, I thought about it. I'm like, I have to fit this, force this into the sermon this weekend, all right? Like, it's it's connected, but it's it's just so enlightening. So so awkwardly, right now we're gonna play it, but then it's it's like it's connected, and I hope you'll be encouraged. I just I
0: needed you to see it like now. Okay, so watch this video right now. There was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 uh, pe- uh, general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80, and they just wanted to see how we are engaging with Scripture. Right, and they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. They weren't even looking for this and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. Um, When we're in the scripture one time a week and that could be church on Sunday, that's pastor saying you open your Bible, we hear the message, one time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'm gonna spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week, negligible effect. Now at three times a week, There was a blip on the map, like there was a heartbeat. Something happened, again, a heartbeat. But here was a profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. You would expect that it'd be one, two, I mean, there'd be a gradual incline on the effect and impact that would have in your life, but it was literally one, two, three, four. Something radically happens. Okay, you got my curiosity. To this extent. What kind of behavior is being affected? Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow. Ang- four times a week in the four Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops Crazy. 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spend in Scripture? If they're in the Scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's
1: very important.
0: Now, on a flip positive side, sharing your faith wow. jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's Word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's That's amazing right there.
1: That was abrupt. Yeah. But I I hope that you, if, if you know me at all, you know how much I care and appreciate that truth right there, how I'm constantly longing for all of us to understand. Listen. You want, to, you want to see Christ work in your life, man. You have to be filled with Christ. How we feel with Christ, one of the best possible ways is Scripture, and of course, inviting the Holy Spirit and all we seek to do for his character. And Stephen, we're going to see with such a man like that as well. All that to say this, am I growing in Christ-like character? Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Question number two. We're going to be moving kind of quickly today because we have to all stuff want to get through. Question number two. Am I attracted to Christ-like countenance? Am I attracted to Christ-like countenance? That's a great question. The answer reveals our definition of beauty, a huge battle in our day, a huge battle. Is it earthly or heavenly? Is my definition of beauty, is it temporal or eternal? So when I read verse 15, okay, of chapter 6, amazed, I've always been amazed. Look at verse 15. It says, and gazing at him, okay, his opponents who hated him, and gazing at Stephen, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So, We haven't read the verses that preceded verse 15. I'll give the context. Stephen is being viciously attacked, falsely accused, and corrupt witnesses are being placed against him. But in the midst of such hostility and hatred, his face shines like an angel. That is is awesome. It reminds me of Psalm 34, verse 8. Those who look to the Lord will be radiant. Stephen is literally radiating Jesus Christ in this moment. And do you know Psalm 34, 8 ends? It ends with this. And their faces shall never be ashamed. Pam. Stephen is like living that verse out. Those who look to the Lord Jesus Christ will be radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. So what a moment this is. In God's word, you have this narrative before us. Stephen is literally encountering facial expressions against him, filled with rage, hatred, indignation, and absolute ridicule, and really murder, which is about to happen. But here is Stephen in the face of such opposition, ever Christ-like. His face is radiating the light and the love in return. How wonderful and powerful and beautiful this is. His countenance here in this moment, this life-changing moment, his countenance spoke peace and love and total confidence in his unstoppable Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I, I love to read biographies and think of how many times I read over the years, how many believers have faced death with a radiance on their face. Some have been in the hospital bed some facing execution, some even while they're being stoned to death in our passage today are displaying the countenance and radiance of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's extraordinarily beautiful. It is absolutely pure. It's one of the themes when I was reading this through again this week, I have read this so many times, I, just, I one of my favorite stories in the scripture, Acts 6-7, but you're looking at Stephen's life, there's so much purity. His life's so pure. He's undefiled. He's he's just so focused. It's just like, talk about being single minded. He's so filled with love for Christ. Like everything he's doing, it's just speaking the words of of the Lord and seeing Christ. And just his whole life seems to be radiating the power and the glory of Christ. It's incredibly challenging. And we ask ourselves, am I attracted to? To such countenance, such Christ-like, only produced by Christ. Am I attracted to that? Do I long for that? Do I, do I, do I, uh, am I attracted to that in others? Do I pray for that? Do I draw near to those who seem to have a radiance for the glory of Christ? Because listen, the Holy Spirit sure is. Holy Spirit, man, he's so attracted to Christ-like countenance. I love too, man, throughout the years being pastor at at this church, how many of you, different times, in different ways, I able to look at you and to literally see the light of Christ in your eyes. There's no beauty like that beauty. The beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ working on a person's heart, especially in the midst of difficulty and trial. They're shining. The Lord is upon them. And just to see the grace that is there, exceptional, amazing, incredible, supernatural. The world can't touch it. The world doesn't know it. There's no amount of worldly pursuits that can ever, ever compare to the beauty and the radiance that is found in the countenance of those who seek the Lord Jesus Christ and let his light shine upon them. Maybe, maybe this Christmas is a, a time for us to redefine beauty on God's terms. His countenance is so pure. I mean, even the Christmas story and the Christmas carol, Silent Night. Silent night, holy night, son of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face. There it is. There has never been a face with more radiance than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. But here's the thing, right? Here's the thing, ready? The more we become like Jesus Christ, this just in, the more we become like Jesus Christ. Awesome! And the more we become like Jesus Christ, the more we shine with His radiance for those with eyes of faith to see. Let me just talk to the young women here today. I can talk to everyone, okay? but to the young women who are particularly bombarded with your identity is rooted in your physical appearance and the infinite messages that hit us every single day that your value and worth and your identity is in your appearance. Listen, Jesus Christ produces in you a beauty that no Botox, no plastic surgery, no workout could ever compare to, can't even touch. It's so sad to see the attempts of humanity trying to replace a facial or Big beauty compared to the beauty that is found in the Lord. Young women, I talked to you today, man. If you believe, if you believe in the power of the beauty that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, again, you'll be filled with such a sense of glory and love. Again, you did not know could exist, but does. It does in one person, in one person. The beauty that is precious in the sight of God, 1 Peter 3, unfading, incredible. That's what the Lord looks to When he fills a life, there are countenances. And I'll give you, in Stephen's case, this was was awesome and extraordinary. And yet, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and beholding the Lord Jesus Christ, we are being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. And just imagine the day he returns. And just imagine the day you see him face to face. You know, what a day just said to one of my sons this week, I had a moment just sitting with him and just say, man, son, can you imagine the day that one day you are going to see Jesus Christ face to face? If you believe in him, son, if you are alive in him, if you are, if you are generally saved in him, you will see him face to face. And what, what glory that will be. And the countenance, you get to touch him. You get to hug him. You get to embrace your savior And this Stephen, so close in this moment, so close to that happening, seconds, minutes away, and his whole face lights up with the countenance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Awesome, amazing, and beautiful. Question number three. Am I deepening in Christ-centered conviction and courage? Am I deepening in my Christ-centered conviction and courage? Again, this is a remarkable passage. This point three here, um, it covers the bulk of chapter seven, the longest recorded speech in Acts. We can't deal with every verse. We're not even going to try. There's so many here, but we're going to give an overview. Stephen now says, I want to say something, and he begins to speak to the religious council, and he starts to recall the history of Israel. Okay, And he does that by highlighting um, Israel's most revered leaders. Now, the reason he does this is not to give them a history lesson, okay? They'd be well-versed in Scripture. He's recalling history to refute their indictments against him. He wants to show them the same way that God's prophets were rejected, prophets like Moses and Joseph, they were rejected by God's people, is the same way Jesus Christ has been rejected in the present day where Stephen is, and he's trying to show them that. So Stephen goes over a history with Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, and Solomon. And here's what he's saying. He's like this. He's like, hey, I'll paraphrase, okay? He's like, hey, you think this new Christianity thing, Christianity opposes Judaism. It opposes the law and the temple. When in fact, this Christian faith that in Jesus Christ, it actually fulfills the law and fulfills the temple. Jesus Christ is not opposed to where he came from. He's the fulfillment of everything you long for. And this is very important too. What Stephen also does, he tries, he's agonizing over these hard hearts before him. And he says, listen, the whole point of what God was doing and sent his son was for relationship. You're so built on religion that you're missing the entire point. Stephen's agonizing with him saying, Christmas. Christ came for relationship. God wants to be in relationship with you. And if you think of Christmas itself, the most famous verse probably surrounding Christmas is when the angels appear to the shepherds, and maybe some of you haven't been in church in forever, but you would even know it probably, where the angels say, glory to God in the highest. I mean, Charlie Brown Christmas, everything that happens, all the things you see, Christmas cards, whatever it is. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom God is pleased. Why is that such an incredible announcement? Because for the first time ever when Christ was born, the angels on behalf of God are saying, listen, hey people, before Christ came, there was no chance at peace with God because you were enemies of God because of your sin. But the Savior has come who has been sent. God himself is now going to live. He's gonna live a perfect life so he can die for your sins and mine. That he's going to die, pay for our sins, be raised from the dead. They're like, listen, listen, glory to God in the highest because now peace is available to everyone with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. With everyone whom God has pleased for the first time ever. All of history culminates in this moment. That's why Christmas is so awesome. This is the power of what we celebrate. Stephen is trying to get the religious leaders to understand this. And By the way, right now, maybe you're here right now. There, there, are, there are many people in this room right now that you are not in relationship with God. And if you're not in relationship with God, then you're opposed to God. See, see, that's the message of love in Jesus Christ. And today you are here, maybe again, maybe for the first time, you are here that you are invited to be in relationship with God Almighty, that you may have eternal life in him only through his son, Jesus Christ, by believing in him, And receiving his grace as a gift for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the power of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Stephen, listen, Stephen is pleading with his listeners. And he gets to the point, he's so exasperated. Look at verse 51 now. Chapter 7, verse verse 51. And he says this. He He is filled with courage and conviction. Verse 51, he says... You stiff-necked people, so stubborn, obstinate, um, uncircumcised in heart and ears, um, calloused, so hard-hearted. You always resist the Holy Spirit. I think the people that maybe hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus over and over again, they just resist, 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 resist. Stephen, in this moment, he's like, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, who, of course, is Jesus Christ. Listen, he says this, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who have received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Again, he's so exasperated. You have to think at this point of Stephen's sermon And he's filled with so much courage at this point to look them in the eyes and say these hard truths. You have to think that at this point in Stephen's sermon, he's wondering if he might not live by the end of this message. You have to imagine he's seeing their faces and he says, this may not go well. And yet, listen, his conviction is so strong for Christ. He is so filled with God's presence and and spirit. At this point, he cares not for the fear of man. He is literally consumed with the fear of God. To the point he says, if I die, I die. Because I die in hope and purpose and meaning and life in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the first martyr of the Christian church. He would not be the last, my goodness. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Christians die uh, every year for the same purpose in the Lord Jesus Christ. Question, am I deepening in my Christ-centered conviction and courage? Holy Spirit, grow that in us. I'm not talking obnoxiously. I'm not talking that. I'm talking powerfully and humbly, though, rooted in what is true, with conviction and courage for Christ in my day. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Stephen's life is so encouraging. Question number four. Am I increasingly captured by Christ? What do you mean by that? Well, what I find that happens next is one of the most captivating portions of Scripture in the entire New Testament. Look at at verse 54 now. Verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground, look at at the description of the Bible. You can just see it happening, and they ground their teeth at him, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, and saw the glory of God in Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they... but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, is our sermon title appropriate or what? The incredible testimony and example of Stephen. When you read this section here, you can barely taste the venom of the religious leaders here in verse 54. You can almost see the rage coming through the pages. The Bible basically tells us here, they just lose it. They absolutely lose it. They're so overcome with hatred and rage, they move into a murderous mob. That's exactly what happens. They're so filled with hate and rage, they can't take it anymore, and all, the, all their flesh, all their evil, and they lose it, and they just move into one murderous momentum to grab Stephen and literally kill him on the spot. But as they seek to do this, the supernatural happens. Glory happens. The Holy Spirit peels back heaven. And Stephen's gaze is set upon the glory of his Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, a couple of weeks ago we learned that God will open any door he wants to. There's no door he cannot open. He opened the prison doors for Peter and the apostles. They may escape miraculously. And here he literally opens Door of heaven, that Stephen may see the glory of Christ and Jesus is welcoming Stephen home. There's so many life-changing principles right here in these verses. I mean, if you're going to look at anything in life, look to the glory of Jesus. If you're going to set your gaze on anyone or anything, set your gaze on Jesus. If you're going to hope in anyone, set your hope fully in Jesus. You're like, yeah, but Stephen, he, he's gazing at Jesus and he's looking at Jesus, he's opening Jesus, and now he's about to die for Jesus. I know it's it's awesome. I was reading recently, second best selling book of all time, or most influential book of all time. The second most besides the Bible is Pilgrim's Progress. Written, of course, by John Bunyan, and this is when the, the main character Christian he's facing the devil. And the devil's accusing. Christian, why would you follow Jesus when his followers go through suffering and trial and many of them die? He's like, I can make sure you don't die or I can make sure you are saved or free from such trials in life. My followers, Satan says, they have it easy. Here's how Christian responds. He says, when he, God, for a time does not deliver his servants from trouble, it is for their good. It strengthens their faith and their love for the right and affords an opportunity for them to show the sincerity of their love And to add to their rewards. And as for the death you speak of, it's only temporary. He delivers his servants out of death and gives them a perfect life beyond. His servants do not expect immediate deliverance from the petty dangers and discomforts of this present perishing world. But are willing to wait on the Lord, knowing full well that they shall be more than well rewarded for all their sufferings. When he comes in his glory and with his holy angels. When you are captured with a pure and true vision of Jesus Christ, like when this really happens, there's nothing else you need, ever. There's no one else you need. There's nothing you need to get. There's no object you need to have. Here's Stephen in the midst of being murdered for his belief and faith in Jesus Christ. And he gazes at the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's probably never been in a place of so utterly fulfilled and such peace, and overwhelmed with the love of Jesus Christ. It is absolutely a wonder. In verse 57, the council is so utterly blind, but now they desire to be deaf as well. Look at verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. So this this is remarkable to me, okay? So again, the Bible's awesome, okay? Describing for us what was happening here. So, Stephen... Is proclaiming he sees a vision of Jesus Christ, just saying at the right hand of God. The religious leaders are so filled with hey, they look here, look here. They literally they literally stop their ears and just rush at him. They want to hear another sound out of his mouth, and they go and they rush at him, grinding their teeth, and they just go to kill him again as fast as they possibly can. And that's amazing. You know, you're kind of looking at this, these, these, these passages and you're wondering what, what this might have looked like. A Rembrandt, famous painter, he, this, is, this is his kind of picture, rendition of what this might have looked like. We have no idea exactly what it looked like, but I think it's really helpful, some visuals of being able to just picture and just picture, put ourselves there and Stephen just looking up in his gaze of heaven and filled with supernatural peace and literally people holding up these massive stones of all sizes to literally drop and crush and kill him. Saul standing close by, dropping the garments at his feet, as the text says. It's amazing to me, and yet, in the midst of rocks crushing skulls and breaking bones, Stephen captured by the gaze of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) What a scene of the heart of man, isn't it? Right here, on one side you have hatred, blindness, and death. And the other side filled with glory and heaven and peace. Question, what side are you on? Part of me loving you today is to help you understand and Lord willing believe there's only two sides in this life. You're for Christ or against Christ. There's no, there's, there's no middle ground. Well, I'm kind of one or the other. No, I'm kind of in the middle. No, it's, it's going to be for Christ or against Christ. What side do you want? What side are you on? There are two destinations in eternity. There are heaven, there's heaven, and then there's hell. Bible's very clear. Jesus is very, very clear. To believe in him and love him is to accept him and follow him and worship him. That results in eternal life. But to not believe in him and to reject him and to hate him and to despise God and to love sin... The Bible tells us very clearly that that is equals an eternity of separation from God and not with him. What side are you on? What side are you on? Some might even get upset with me as I say this right now, but some are never more thankful ever for truth and love being spoken to them of what is actually true. It's amazing how much we get so caught up in the now, and yet we fail to look beyond And to see what will be for all of eternity. Stephen's life is an incredible example for us. Incredible example for us. We see in him character and his countenance and conviction. And he's captured by Christ. And then question number five in our fifth one, last one, is this. Do I display the compassion of Christ? Do I display the compassion of of Christ? So this is when you think this passage could not get any more incredible. Well, then there's 59 and 60. Verses 59 and 60 of chapter 7 Take a look at it there. It says this. And, and as they were stoning Stephen, well, again, okay, i got to make sure, I'm in verse 58. They laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Are you kidding me? And when he had said this, He fell asleep. Now, you want to talk about Christ-like? When Jesus Christ was on the cross, Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He also says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now you have Stephen being stoned to death, the first martyr of the Christian church. You want to talk about Christ-likeness? And here is Stephen saying, receive my spirit, Lord. And then he says, Lord, again, forgive them, or don't hold this sin against them. That is awesome. The more you become like Christ, the more you become like Christ. Stephen is so filled with Christ, in his death, he emulates Christ by saying, here's my spirit, God. And then he says, do not hold this sin against them. They're killing him with stones. And he's filled with such compassion. Augustine said this, I've never seen this before. Man, this is so powerful. He said this, if Stephen had not prayed, the church would not have Paul. Now think about that for a second. If you know your Bible, okay? Saul here, listed twice. Look at, look, at, look at chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. Saul is bookending the stoning and death of Stephen. If Stephen had not prayed, the church would not have Paul. Saul became Paul, of course. Probably the greatest conversion in the history of the Christian church. The greatest missionary ever used. Now think about this. This is so awesome. There is Saul. There is Saul approving of his execution, witnessing and probably filled with delight that this young man is dying before his eyes. He had absolutely no clue, no clue that he, in a few weeks or whatever it was, a few moments later, he would become God's chosen instrument to carry the gospel to the world. And that happened in part. Because of the compassion of Christ in the life of Stephen, who Saul, looking on, mentioned twice, Stephen says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And by God's grace, he didn't, when it came to Saul's life, turn Paul. Now, let's pull this back to our day right now. You just think about this. The more we are filled with Christ's loved ones, we we are in a world of hatred. I mean, for all the talk of tolerance, there's not a lot especially towards Christ. It just isn't. I want you to notice here too, in Stephen's example, look at how truthful he was in chapter seven when he looks at them and tells them the truth. He says those very hard words. You stiff-necked, uncircumcised, and hard in ears. He says the truth to them, but then he comes back at the end of his life and look at the, his life dripping with the compassion and love of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing combination. Truth and grace. Grace and truth. Both are essential in being used of Jesus Christ. Both are love. Truth is love. Compassion and grace is love. Both are Christ. Jesus Christ full of grace and truth. Look at Stephen here. And I'm telling you, for the people that might oppose us in the greatest amount in our day, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, we we'll so filled with Jesus Christ that the very ones that wish to see us dead be the ones that we have compassion on supernaturally by Jesus Christ, that those people themselves might become the greatest influencers for the gospel and Jesus Christ this nation has ever seen. You just don't know. You just don't know. But God, fill us with grace and truth that we might understand, again, the power and the opportunity to live for Christ and be used of him in our day. I'm thankful for Stephen's example that entirely and completely points to the glory and the power and the Savior, Jesus Christ the lord so as we end today i want to ask you a couple of questions okay what is your greatest takeaway today from this message today what is your single greatest takeaway from this message or passage today i'll say this way too which point which point which question is most needed to answer today which part resonates with you the most and then what is the answer to the for every single question the answer is one person jesus christ Jesus Christ is the answer for character and purpose and passion and glory and life. Jesus Christ is the answer to beauty. Jesus Christ is the answer to everything good. Jesus Christ loves you and is so gracious and generous. But we need to seek him. And Lord Jesus, would you move in this church to make us men and women and children in the example of Christ and of Stephen to be used in great and powerful ways. May it be so. Amen, church love you all let's pray let's pray father you love us you love us so much you gave your son at christmas to live and die and be raised from the dead that we might have life eternal oh lord i pray i pray right now that your church is filled with the holy spirit filled with a longing for jesus and desire to be used of you Oh Lord, we need you we need you we need you we need you so I pray, Lord, as we respond again in an incredible song of truth, I pray for volume. I pray for faith. I pray for encouragement. I pray for love. I pray for godliness. Yes, Lord. Use this time now, use this season, use your people. Bring salvation, God. Save people, I pray. Save people. Yes, Lord. Help us.